your host, Carmilla, and this is Cat Scratch Radio, a horror podcast. Welcome to Cat Scratch Radio, a horror podcast. I'm Carmilla, but my writer name is Matu C. Lawrence. I write horror and dark fantasy, often with a hint of romance, and I've been a horror enthusiast since I was seven years old watching it on the small black and white TV in my grandmother's guest room. Nearly 30 years later, and I'm here to spread my love of horror to others. So, I love horror movies and horror books or horror literature if we want to be fancy about it all of it but did you know that the very first movie appearance of presumed vampirism was not Nosferatu or Dracula it was actually in 1896 the haunted castle also known as the house of the devil which also happens to be known as the first horror film. The film director George Melius meant this three-minute silent film that you can watch for free on YouTube to be whimsical and fun, but it became the very first film to present horror elements that are supernatural, like ghosts, vampires, witches, spooky skeletons, and smoldering cauldrons. With Halloween just around the corner, I think The Haunted Castle is the perfect haunted house film, even if comically so. I watched it and I adored every second of it. It was very much like a horror version of Benny Hill. And I absolutely thought that that was hilarious. And it would have been so interesting to see what they would have done if they had had access to like voice recording and music and stuff like that instead of silent film. Though horror movies have changed through the ages. And in the early, early 1900s, you saw an insurgence of horror films in the silent era, most notably Nosferatu. Vampires have been popular in media for a really long time. So you have Carmilla, My Namesake, a novel about a lesbian vampire that was released in 1872. And then you have Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1897, just a year after the release of The Haunted Castle. Other movies like The Werewolf and Jekyll and Mr. Hyde came out in the early 1900s and have been lost to time as well as many others. We've lost a lot of silent films over the years, which is kind of uh, upsetting spaghetti. Um, could you imagine if we could locate, find those, and have that piece of history again? I mean, I guess I can only wish. But this is just the start of one of the most consistent genres of film that has ever like taken this journey, right? Horror from its beginnings of vampires and Frankenstein and the like has taken this journey from book to silent film to talkies <laughs> or speaksies. Is that what they call them? Speaksies, talkies. What is wrong with me? Talkies are a type of chip. And you know what hasn't changed though? Some of the best topics, types of horror and tropes in horror that I absolutely adore. The first one being ghost stories. Honestly, ghost stories are my favorite. They're number one on the top of my list. And there's just something about ghost stories, haunted houses, poltergeists, and hunting and defeating ghosts that really fascinates many of us, not just myself. And maybe it's the explanation of the opening cabinets or the unexplained sound. Or maybe it's the idea of some kind of afterlife that draws us into this. Uh, when I was little, uh, I want to say I was about 10 years old, my first experience with something that I felt was supernatural, though I to this day don't believe in 
ghosts, I'm a huge skeptic anyway, is that I was standing in front of a cemetery. My friends and I had just biked there and we're looking out at the cemetery and I see somebody standing at one of the graves and my friends go, there's nobody there. Cause I'm like, do you guys see that guy? And they're like, there's nobody there, nobody there. And I'm like, you're kidding, right? That's a joke. You guys are messing with me. And to this day, I still think that they were messing with me and playing mind games with me. But hey, there's that possibility that maybe they weren't playing mind games with me and I saw a ghost. Uh, that would be really cool, wouldn't it? But there's this saying that horror fans will watch 10 really bad flicks before we find a good one. And I fit that stereotype. So from TV shows like Supernatural with the Winchester boys to my most recent watches like His House, The Fall of the House of Usher, and everything in between, there's a lot of haunted happenings that I have just absolutely adored and loved and would encourage others to watch. Most recently, however, the one that I think is the best that I've watched is only found in Japanese and it's an anime called Dark Gathering or Gathering Dark depending on where you're looking for it. I don't know why the title is reversed in some places and not in others and I don't think I'll ever know the answer to that and it could be just a language barrier situation but it's about a man who can sense ghosts and a young girl who can see them and trap evil spirits and then bind them to her will and it gives an entirely different view on spirits and ghosts than that of any western ghost lore that we've seen like in Supernatural. The contrast of cursed or purely evil ghosts being unable to move on and then like devouring one another to gain more power makes Gathering Dark one of the most most unique like ghost stories I've ever watched and there are a lot of layers to Gathering Dark but the portrayal of evil spirits being trapped inside of stuffed animals and other dolls is by far my favorite aspect of the show. The first season is available in the US on High Dive if anyone wants to learn more or you can watch the first three episodes on Shudder because if you are a horror enthusiast like myself I'm sure you have Shudder the horror streaming service but all these massive poltergeists and like villainous ghosts in the show just really really caught my attention I normally don't watch things that are in foreign language because I'm dyslexic but I was sucked into this anime like crazy sucked into it and I would watch every season that there is that comes out of it I really would but as we're talking about raging poltergeists one of the things that I really loved recently the fall of the house of usher they did an incredible job showcasing the raging poltergeist because if you watch very carefully you'll see like it's definitely something you need to pay attention to but you'll see the poltergeist coming to him as he's telling his story and scaring the living jesus out of him and i think that the way that the pacing is done and the way that they portray each ghost each poltergeist before their story of how they died comes about was really cool because you're looking at all the injuries of the because he's seeing them as they're like they looked when they died and to me i was like oh graphic but in a good way right like it's uh, the right amount of horror and gore and did Edgar Allan Poe's stuff justice, honestly. But it was like, you see this flesh monster ghost scaring him and then we get to learn slowly about how this happens to him. And they did that with 
all of the children, actually. And I found that really crazy. And I still do. I might even give it another watch. <laughs> and I don't want to say too much more than that because I'm really giving away a good portion of the mo of the show if I do that. And this came out before Cat Scratch Radio, so not too long before Cat Scratch Radio, so I'm gonna leave it at that for now. But another good poltergeist I really loved was His House. You can watch this on Netflix right now, and it is incredible. And I use that word so loosely right now, but like I mean it. I, won't, I picked some of my favorite examples for you guys, but it's another ghost movie that plays completely different on another culture and lore and mythology around the dead, witches, and ghosts. And His House is something like a poltergeist. So if you haven't seen it, and you don't want spoilers, skip ahead for a few seconds because it is really worth the watch. But if you have seen it, then you know that there were refugees at the beginning escaping a war and coming to the UK to try and find asylum. The main characters are a man that steals a young girl to try and get onto the bus and his wife. They have no children of their own, but he steals somebody else's daughter to get onto this bus so that they can get on the bus and leave and they're not separated. And unfortunately, as they're crossing the like the river or the ocean, I believe it's the ocean, the child drowns and it's sad. It's really sad, but it's that child that you see coming through the walls in his house and you see his mind starting to slip slowly as it's driving him into madness. And I really love that. The concept of driving someone into madness or someone losing their facilities is absolutely horrifying to me. It is one of the scariest things I can think of. It's probably the reason so many of us are afraid of dementia or Alzheimer's. And for me, I worry about that, right? Like that's something I never want to have happen to me. I can't imagine just becoming this figment of myself. I don't like figment of my own imagination. Poof. I think that watching him slip into madness is truly terrifying because then as he's slipping into madness, so is his wife. And his wife has begun to think that this child was actually their daughter and that she can trade her husband's soul to have her daughter back. Even though she never had a daughter, she never had kids. And you watch her come to that knowledge that it's not not their child over time. So like you don't get that get go that they stole a child and everything until later. And it kind of starts slowly revealing all that stuff. But that's not what makes the poltergeist good. It's not the jump scares. It's not that. It's that it's tormenting him with his own guilt of stealing that child. And I thought that was such a cool idea. Like in the movie Smile, it's a play on depression and how that can lead to suicide, depression and trauma, and how that can lead to suicide, lead to harming others or harming yourself. And I thought that for his house, playing on that same kind of concept of that trauma was a really, really great way to develop a poltergeist. And as far as the movie goes, it's wonderfully done. Please watch it if you haven't. Even if you listen to the whole spoilers, watch it anyway because the way that the cinematography is done and the way that the pacing is done really fascinates me and it makes me want to watch it again every time I think about it and I'm not a big person on like re-watching movies. As for that like let's talk about like literary works if we're ghosts. 
we're thinking about, I'm thinking about the book Mexican Gothic and how it's kind of a rich version of Crimson Peak. If you haven't seen Crimson Peak or read Mexican Gothic, I highly recommend both, especially if you're curious about ghosts who aren't there to harm or do evil, but as a guide to help the person they're coming to. And I think a lot of movies and literature kind of focus on the idea of ghosts being the evil, the bad guy, the the spooky, uh, like, but you have things like the Haunted Mansion where you have bad evil ghosts but you have like tons of good ghosts which I thought was a really fun play on things and that's a children's movie, family movie. Um, if you want to watch it with your kids, great idea. It's kind of goofy horror comedy but when it comes to like Mexican Gothic, definitely an adult book. There are some scenes in there that are not appropriate for children. Just the same as there are scenes in Crimson Peak that are definitely not appropriate for children, <laughs> at least in my opinion. And so saying that, as far as American ghosts go, those are the only ones that I can really think of that I really fallen in love with. I'm falling more in love with these cultural aspects, these other communities and cultures that are bringing their ghost stories to life and it's made me more fascinated with spirits in the Japanese culture and like for his house which is from an African tribes culture I just I want to know more you know and it, maybe it's because I feel like American ghosts are getting too into the role of ooh spoopy and they're not really digging deeper. I wanna see more. And that's probably why I find these other cultural uh, ghost stories so fascinating. But if you have any recommendations for me, like a movie you wanna recommend or a book, I am always open to that. I am super excited to learn more about other cultures, ghost stories, or other cultures, horror stories. But also, if you think that there's something fresh and new in Western society that I haven't seen yet, definitely hit me up. Let me know because I want to see it. But so my second favorite topic is witches. And I'm pretty obsessed with the Salem witch, witch trials and so much so that I recently visited Salem, Massachusetts to go and see a lot of this stuff in person and like go to the museum and everything so that I could see like artifacts from the time period. And I also got to, you know, eat fish and chips on the coast and try birch beer for the first time and go to some witchy shops that make the witchy shops here in my hometown look timid. And while I could gush about my trip, all day long. The point here is that I love witches in the media. While the trail in early works of witches was more like your cackling witch, the wicked witch of the west, and the impression has changed over the years from cartoonish green witches to ones that could be more terrifying or more relatable. And I think that for the more relatable ones we have Wicca to associate that with because I think that like things like Charmed are more Wicca based in their like ideology. And I don't know if you guys know this but Wicca was in invented by Gardner and he did it in order to get more women and it's something that people do. I mean Picasso started doing art because he thought it would give him, you know, get him more women. So it, it is a thing. It is a, a drive of passion. But Wicca is an amalgamation of just kind of this potato head of different cultures, witch practices and spiritualism kind of just clumped together and funky looking. No offense to anybody who is Wiccan, I'm just saying that that's kind of like the origin of it. And that's where we get things like 
Charmed or the Witches of Eastwick and stuff like that. Except they get that more, let me cast a spell that's more like you're bewitched and stuff like that. Or your, dare I say it, Harry Potter. I'm not, the Witches and Wizards of Harry Potter don't do it for me. Uh, if they do it for you, huzzah. But I like my stuff to be a little bit darker. I like my stuff to be a little bit scarier. And in that thing, I can go back to his house, the film, because the witch in his house is terrifying. And if you pay really close attention to the story, it's not made of pure malice. I found the depiction of the witch to remind me of witches in native stories myself, especially the Navajo, having a completely different form that is televised with witches like Charmed are. Like, this witch isn't casting spells or leaned over a cauldron. He's a witch that's seeking justice in the form of torment. And essentially, again, spoiler, he's asking the main character to give his own life for the girl that he lost. And just dark so dark but in a really good way the other ones that i'd like to mention are like don't listen which is a foreign film i believe it's swedish it's your spooky evil witch uh the movie is very much kind of like she's a poltergeist and she's tormenting the people that are in this house because she wants the house to be left alone but also because she's just evil and wants to like harm people and i found it it was an okay movie it wasn't great. I don't recommend it as something you just like absolutely have to watch. It's a movie and it wasn't a bad, it wasn't like a waste of my time. It was interesting to say the least. The cinematography was interesting. I liked the way they played on the jump scares. Um, one of the jump scares totally got me and caught me off guard. They did, did some decent work with that. But the Puritan, like, oh, this witch was conversing with the devil, oh, I think is so overplayed. And I find it kind of boring unless you do it in the way the witch did. The witch has that, just that scale to it where it's almost showing these witches who are speaking to the devil as the good guys. And it was worth all two hours of my time that I watched. Like they spin the early accusations of Western society of witches down to the black goat representing speaking to the devil, everything. And it's such a good movie. And But then you have other puritanical, like the Year of the Witching book. I really, really, really liked this book until the ending. And this one has like young, youthful witches rather than your crone witch and nothing against the crone witch, obviously. But it, the book took purit puritanical religion and anti-witch rhetoric into a tailspin, giving literally any details beyond that is a spoiler. But I really enjoyed the world, other reality, and had a strong force of witches wanting to destroy the Puritan force that was burning innocence as witches or uh, for other crimes. Well, and the, But at the end of the book, spoiler, at the end of the book, the witches die and the main character takes the side of the puritanical religion and i found that explosively upsetting because if we're talking about witches who are defending these people these women that are being burned at the stake like the oh my god it just this book frustrates me to no end and uh, <laughs> so you have 
these witches that are trying to defend these young girls, and I mean young, like the lead pastor is like taking young women and impregnating them at the, as early as like 12 and 14. And they think of it as being like chosen by the prophet and how it's like an honor. But the one girl that's like the best friend of the main character has a baby that is like deformed. I believe it's a cleft palate if I'm correct. It's been a minute since I read the book, but they burn her at the stake for having a demon baby along with the baby. And she allows it to happen because she thinks it's the right thing to be done. And her best friend is like, no, you can't do this. But why if she's like on the side of the witches of like, you can't do this, does she eventually betray the witches, kill them, and take the side of the puritanical religion? I'll never understand that. And I love witches in media, so I was really disappointed. Uh, one that I wasn't disappointed in that's a literature book is actually a young adult book. It's called Cemetery Boys, and it focuses entirely on the Mexican culture and beliefs of the brujas and brujos, uh, the Spanish word for witch. While a young trans boy fights to be accepted by his family as a brujo instead of a bruja, he also needs to solve the murder of a ghost that he's been uh, like stalked by because he can see ghosts. It's a really fun book. I felt it was a little predictable at times, but I really loved getting to explore those other cultures. And I mean, that's the same thing as with ghosts, right? I want to see more. I want to see other cultures, ideas of witches. And I laugh because I've had somebody tell me that witchcraft and witches is a white person thing when it really isn't because we have historical evidence of witches in like Navajo culture, uh, Mexican culture, Roma and Russian I think and just the list goes on and on like we have all these other cultures that have witches it's not just like an American ideology and it's not just a white person thing it's burning them at the stake isn't even a white person thing considering in 2014 a woman was burned at the stake in Saudi Arabia and I think that it's still legal to do it there which is unfortunate. But like the, the list of witches and media can go on forever, right? The, ultimately, I'll never stop loving things like witches in Eastwick, Charmed or Bewitched. They're not my favorite, but I, I do love them. I wanna see more like the witch from his house, you know, that really has a purpose, has a drive and is tormenting this person for that purpose. But I'd also love to see other cultures, just in general, that really challenge that Blair Witch narrative and are unique to society. Even if they're not unique to their culture, like they're unique to our culture, right? And I think we as a Western society need to be exposed to more. <laughs> We really do. Next on my list is vampires. And I bet you knew this was coming. Because <laughs> I did open up with a little bit about vampirism, right? And one of the most popular tropes and topics, and for good reason, is the vampire. Because we have the loved, handsome Prince Vlad from Dracula, or Spike from Buffy, with his little with the allure of immortality and basking in privileged life as many vampires do. But not so much Spike. Spike in this instance is, he's got his own strange charm. And I particularly, and in my own personal preference, don't care for Angel. You'll have to fight me on it. 
<laughs> I do love Buffy the Vampire Slayer though. I think it's amazing. I love Bram Stoker's Dracula. There are dozens upon dozens of films with vampires in them, dozens upon dozens of books. Like we have Vampire Academy, we have the originals, we have, uh, gosh, there's so many to go on that I could go on forever. Like we just got The Last Voyage of the Dement a Demeter and The Invitation out in the last couple years. And the remake of Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire, then there's Vampires in the Bronx, and then you have your like classics like Blade and Underworld and stuff like that. But then you have the sparkly vampires. And you, I, I would be remiss if I did not talk about Stephanie Meyer's World of Twilight. Why? Because the significance it had in pop culture that spawned out of it, like, is just wild. It's so wild. Because we saw in it a literal upbringing of young adult novels from it, especially in the romance category and supernatural category. And we saw more supernatural books in general coming out and getting more popularity and getting more readers. And I love that. But like the scariest thing about Twilight is that Edward is 300 years old and a stalker. And I know that somebody's gonna wanna fight me for that as well, but he really is so much older than her. I know his body is stuck at 17, but like if she stayed human like he wanted, him, wanted her to, then she becomes the cougar if we're thinking on the level that he's only 17. We can't flip-flop. We can't just make a decision there. I, and she falls in love with this guy who literally was like watching her sleep from her window. <laughs> and there's a love triangle with a werewolf, Jacob, and everybody's probably heard the Team Jacob, Team Edward, uh, kerfuffle. <laughs> and she solves, she solves the love triangle by saying that all the time, it was actually his beast scent it was drawing him to her unborn child, and that's what he was truly in love with. Which is really uncomfortable, which she then fixes that by having the child grow and age, like, exponentially. <laughs> like, really, really fast. It did what it did for the young adult industry. Like, it really blossomed it. And, like, it was booming for a while until recently. So we can't, gotta give it a little bit, a little bit of that attention. Though some of the young adult movies that came from books were not great. Uh, I'm looking at you, Divergence. Uh, <laughs> Divergent. I like things, if it's gonna be your, like, silly vampires, not so much sparkly. I want it to be what we do in the shadows, you know? Or if it's gonna be this like almost cringe, I want it to be Underworld because I really liked the Underworld series as bad as it is. And no, not just because Kate Beckinsale is in leather. Yeah, but you know, the idea of vampires will never grow old in my eyes. Okay, that was probably only funny to me. But the next topic that I will never get enough of, I mean never get enough of, is slashers. And you know, I'm probably not the only one who feels this way, but I bet you anything that there are a minority of people who are sick and tired of slasher films. But honestly, I'm not one of them. I could never forget the classics. Slasher films in the 80s and even today have done for horror what only the likes of Jason, Voorhees, Mike Myers, Freddy Krueger, and Ghostface can do. 
and I don't mind that they keep making Scream movies. <laughs> I'll watch all of them. I remember the first time I ever watched Hall the Halloween series though, because I was only 14 years old and it was the first time I ever smoked pot. <laughs> this is not a sponsorship for underage smoking, just saying. That's just a fact. Slasher films with the never-ending fear that he will be back really sets the stage for jump scares and classic anticipation fear at the back of your mind as you watch. So no matter how camp the blood scenes might be, like the Nightmare on Elm Street when Johnny Depp's character turns into a geyser of blood, the movies are capable of making you look over your shoulder twice when you're alone in the dark. And some of my favorite examples we'll start with are Totally Killer. I loved it. I know it just came out this year, and 2023, and it's set in a modern time, but also the 80s. It is literally Back to the Future meets Friday the 13th. It really is, and it's fantastic. If you haven't watched it, the movie kept me on my toes. I wasn't sure what was going to happen next, and it really just, I like a good horror movie that I can't predict the ending of, you know? I, I think we all do, right, at this point, but... I don't mind movie or movies or sh books where I predict the ending. I just, I long for the ones that I don't know the ending of. And another one of that was Scream 6. I actually did not know who the copycat killers were. And I didn't know that there was gonna be three of them. Like, rad. I loved every second of that. How cool is it that they were able to take a franchise that is so tropey in itself and render it into this amazing, amazing um, twist at the end. Just in general, you know, there's the the tropes and scream that are like, if you don't double tap, like they're gonna come back, no dead body, no death, right? And there's the trope of that you're guaranteed that there will be another killer, right? Even if you kill the one. But then you have things like Friday the 13th, which uh, I'm gonna say it, Jason was a victim and anything that his corpse did in any of the movies under his mother's control is not his fault. Hashtag justice for Jason Voorhees. Just saying. And then Mike Myers, <laughs> he's still waiting for Halloween. Me too. And we're able to pretend like there isn't like four alternative universes for that franchise, right? Because I plan on doing that. My favorite is Freddy Krueger. And why? 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 Because he gives me nightmares. Uh, at least gonna give you some insomnia if you watch the movies. But if you like low quality B flicks, the originals anyway, they're still just truly wild. As another Wes Craven franchise on the list, it'd be a miss if we didn't mention the fact that Wes Craven's work showcases struggling the struggling of, with bisexuality or queerness in society. Nightmare 3 and Scream 1 being the most obvious in these cases. And no, it isn't Freddy. Wes always intended Freddy Krueger as a child killer and a pedo, even more terrifying, and his death justified it in many ways. While I'm not advocating for the death penalty, I am just saying those parents would have felt vindicated in the justice they carried out for their children. And honestly, slasher films will continue to be made and continue to fund the horror industry one buck at a time, let's be honest. And finally, my last on this list of my favorites is Demonic Possession, because who doesn't love a good demonic possession? Supernatural is ripe with demonic possession, and one of the things that I really love about it, I. Crowley is one of my favorite characters, and Meg, who's in one of them, she is amazing. Um, I miss her. Rest in peace. And if you haven't seen Supernatural, I'm sorry for the spoilers, but come on, it's been out forever. 
but this is one of my favorites. Count me in on all the sequels and all the remakes for The Exorcist. I know, I know, remakes are the worst, but I love a good bad movie. Who doesn't? Oh, probably a lot of people. I love bad movies. So I was pretty excited for Pray for the Devil. Pray with an E. But oh man, the movie wasn't just bad, it was ridiculous. It took demonic possession and turned it into an agenda. Which, yes, horror movies do have some allegory to them and stuff like that. But when you're turning it into a political agenda and you're forcing it down the throats of the people that are watching, it... It's a little much. It's a little much. I'm just saying. By the time the movie was almost over, with its terrible, terrible writing and terrible writers, I don't know how this thing got even to film, but it did. But by the time it was almost over, I wasn't even at the point where I needed to sit and wait for the ending. So I was in theaters when this when I watched this. I was saying, if the movie doesn't end in 15 minutes, I'm walking out, which I meant wholeheartedly, and I almost did. I did finish the movie because it only had 15 minutes left in it, <laughs> but I was ready and prepared to leave. It was that bad. But even though that movie blew it as one of my fave tropes in horror, I was still ready to see the new Exorcist movie, Exorcist Believer. It's in theaters now and it's on my to-do list for watching. I don't know which friend I'll be inviting, but the last time I took a friend to a horror movie, it was Smile. Another one that plays on the idea of demonic possession and allegory for depression, as we were talking about earlier. The funniest thing about that trip, though, was my friend's family said they had to pray the devil out of her because I took her to watch a horror film, and I did not realize... I, I, maybe I should have. I didn't realize that that was a thing. I did not know that people are out there thinking that horror movies will put the devil in you. Uh, or demons. I did not know that was a thing. But I do now. That's something I learned. But Smile was a movie that really played to its strengths. While I think that could have worked on the pacing out a little bit better, I was hoping for a final girl survivor ending because that is one of my favorite tropes. But it doesn't make my top five. Uh, but the movie is still a great watch. Not to mention the allegory spot on. Trauma and depression do often lead to unaliving oneself. And those are my five topics and tropes that I absolutely love in horror movies and literature. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode ever of Cat Scratch Radio. And I will see you in the next one. You've been listening to Cat Scratch Radio, a horror podcast with your host, Carmilla Mays, also known as Matu C. Lawrence. If you want to find me on social media, just look up MX Carmilla.